What's up, Kingdom family? It's your girl, Evangelist Renee Michelle, here to host with you all on Cultivate Kingdom. I am so glad you all, so ecstatic to be with you in episode two of season one of Cultivate Kingdom with Kingdom Cultivators and your girl, your host, yours truly. You know who it is, Evangelist Renee Michelle. Thank you all so much. Uh, We were looking at the analytics um, for our podcast, and it seems as though our analytics have just soared through the roof. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who listens, everyone who subscribed, um, everyone who downloaded, everyone who follows. Just thank you to everyone. God bless you all. Listen, I am so excited for episode two, you all. We're actually going to start to get in the meat of what it is we do. And if anybody doesn't know what it is we do, Kingdom Cultivators merges corporate marketing and business development strategies with the operations of church growth. Designed to consult and advise pastors and church leaders in the areas of evangelism, digital and social media, and church marketing. Kingdom Cultivators offers structured corporate level developmental insights that are practical in evangelism, soul winning, and essentially growing the body of Christ and expanding the kingdom. So listen, you all, episode two is going to be amazing. We're going to start pretty much at the beginning. We're getting down to grassroots. We're getting down to the things that matter. It doesn't make sense for us to talk about digital and social uh, media marketing and evangelism if we don't have the proper teams in place. So we can't effectively bring people into the house of God, into the church of God, into the fold, into the body when we don't have our proper uh, measures in place for taking care of and essentially cultivating the souls that we are bringing into the house. So we're going to start right at some of the grassroots things that I really feel like are foundational when we are putting our strategies in motion. And so one of the things I wanted to touch upon today is team building. And what does that look like um, as far as evangelistic team building is concerned in motivating the body and getting the church moving in the area of church growth? And I'll tell you this, church growth um, and marketing now has such a different connotation than it did years past, right? We remember when evangelism was going out and doing street witnessing, um, evangelistic crusades and those type of things. And absolutely, they still have a place. And we'll talk a bit about those um, later on in the episode. But the growth aspect of the church as a whole, and you all remember, I come also from a corporate background. And I believe that if you're going to get anything to grow, you really need that corporate level design. There has to be checks and balances. There has to be monitoring. There has to be data. There has to be teams. There has to be systems in place to help you to move forward. So rather than call it evangelism team building, I would prefer to call it church growth team building or church development 
team building or your church development ministry, um, however you want to name it. But the bigger umbrella should come under something that has the connotation of church growth or kingdom building, your kingdom builders ministry, whatever it is you want to name it and title it. I think that that should be the umbrella that everything else sits underneath. And, you know, it looks vastly different now. Our evangelism ministry looks vastly different now from years before um, in the advent of digital and social media. The evangelistic team um, at this point in time is so multifaceted because we have so many different ways to reach people and build the, the kingdom. It's very multidisciplinary, it's multifaceted, and it's, it's multi-ministry encompassing. So the, this particular department carries the full weight and the responsibility for sharing the gospel. They are the kingdom promoters. They are the church promoters. And it's so important to have the proper team in the proper place. This particular ministry carries um, the responsibility of um, the growth of the church as a whole. So when it comes to the obligation of the growth and health of the church, the evangelism ministry or your church growth ministry should have oversight over every other department that affects the promotion of the kingdom and the local growth of the church body. So what do I mean by that? So outreach obviously has its place, but outreach is not evangelism and missions has its place, but missions is not evangelism. Let me make myself perfectly clear because sometimes we in the church, we we use these words interchangeably, right? Sometimes we say evangelism, sometimes we say outreach, sometimes we say missions. So evangelism has to do with the actual proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God, the actual message of salvation, the actual telling the gospel to someone and leading them to Christ, or at least giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel that we preach. Outreach is a method. It's a, um, a, a, a vehicle, if you will, in how that message travels. Outreach doesn't always result in a salvific presentation and an opportunity to respond to the gospel in that particular moment. Outreach sometimes takes a bit of time. It's a little bit of a longer process. So for instance, with outreach, you do have things like your, cru your crusades or um, your different methods to outreach in your community, whether it be a partnership, a one-time partnership with your local community um, leaders in an event planning for the community as a whole. But typically these are single dose movements. Um, if you go out and you partner with your local um, council on aging and you go out and you do a dinner at the council on aging to serve your uh, local seniors, that is a single 
dose opportunity, a single dose mode. And in those modes, there are oftentimes, but not always times, to share and minister the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is a way to kind of cultivate and present the opportunity. It's a grooming mechanism, if you will. It's what we call it in the corporate world. You're grooming a particular group of people or you're grooming a particular avenue to be able to share that gospel message. You're establishing relationships and building rapport with the people that you are serving, um, both those that you're serving in the leadership aspect of it so that would include your directors, your councilmen, your mayor, um, whoever your local people are that you are working with, schools even, um, when you partnership with local elementary, middle school, high schools in the school district to form a partnership with them and do an event together, that is an opportunity for the church to be able to reach out to families um, as a way to present ourselves as visible in the community. But they don't happen all the time. They're kind of hit or miss. They are opportunistic ways to reach your community. They're not constant. They don't happen all the time. They're not on a revolving door um, type of situation. It's not something that you're doing all the time. So that leads us into missions. And missions is a bit, a bit different um, from outreach, but that is your more sustainable methods for transferring the gospel message. So those are things like, you know, we have, of course, global missions, right? We're going overseas, we're going into other parts of the world, and we're sharing the gospel, usually through a longer opportunity, a longer event. So if you're going on a missions trip, those are typically a week two weeks, three, three weeks, a month long or better. And there's an opportunity for you to share and, and cultivate relationships and develop relationships and build and establish a rapport with the people that you're serving in order to be able to minister and share the gospel with them. So even in the local church, right, we have missions type of ministries within the church. So that would be something like your food pantry or a soup kitchen or a uh, clothing drive, something that you might do repetitiously. It happens all the time, almost like clockwork, right? So if you have a, a food pantry or a soup kitchen or a clothing drive, those are things that either usually happen weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly, that, that's a mission style. All right, so I just wanted to make that perfectly clear. And we're talking about three separate departments when we talk about that form of witnessing evangelism and church growth, right? We have evangelism, we have outreach, and we have missions, all three different things. And they're just, one is um, the actual spreading of the gospel, that is evangelism, the actual proclamation. Outreach is a short-term way avenue to minister that gospel and missions are your long-term methods for being able to transport that gospel message. And now because we're evolving and evangelism has become so all-encompassing, we also have what's called 
the inreach ministry. And this is the ministry that has the oversight for, of the what I call and what we in the corporate world call the back door. It doesn't make sense to bring all of your work in evangelism and all of the souls into the front door when you have the back door wide open. So somebody has to be responsible and in charge of being the gatekeeper of that back door to make sure that we're not losing actual members that are sitting in our pews currently and they're filtering out the back door as we're bringing new souls in the front door. That's not growth, that's recycling. So we wanna make sure that we have someone who's responsible as part of the church growth team or a group of people who are responsible for watching that back door and making sure that that door is not only closed, but it is locked. They are watching for those unseen members, those who are, have not attended um, a church service in two weeks or more. Those are the people that are calling, they're reaching out, they're following up, they're responsible for the church newsletter if you have one. Whatever your communications are with your actual members, those are the people that are responsible for that. They're checking in. Some churches, I have seen them roll that into member service. But if you have not given member services the charge and the responsibility for caring for the members in the church, sometimes when we think of uh, membership services, we think of, you know, onboarding and we think of, you know, some of the demographic, geographic information that comes along with member services, whether it be um, in some of the services that the church offers in the way of baptisms, weddings, baby dedications. Those are typically um, member services responsibilities, right? So those are, those are the people that the church members reach out to in order to get those things scheduled and on the books if it correlates with the typical church calendar. So we have to kind of separate out what in reach looks like, how we're reaching in, and you should have a team of people that are in place and hold the responsibility for making sure that the well-being and the cares of the church members are being cared for. These folks um, should also be polling the congregation to assess the, what the church needs, what their desires are, where they're happy, where they're not happy, what would they like to see change, and be able to communicate those that feedback from the member congregation to the church leader, um, i.e. pastor. Um, so that's pretty much, um, the other thing is, you know, they're, they're, they want to be reaching out to the members and that's the focus. So now because we have moved forward so far into the generation, we also have to talk about digital and social media marketing and evangelism. And what does that look like, especially in this generation and this dispensation that we have kind of moved and shifted into, um, especially in light of COVID-19 and the pandemic, we have all kind of catapulted as a church into this um, digitized world that a lot of us didn't have any idea how to navigate. So many churches didn't even have a website. And believe it or not, there are still one in four churches that do not have a functional website. 
One of the things that has always been an age-old homage of the church is that, you know, we must be about our father's business. But I think it's so important and it would be so wise for us as church leaders to keep in mind that just being about our father's business means to treat his business like a business, to operate it in such a fashion that it is outstanding in what it does. It has a very business-like model underneath the care and the concern of the lost and the members of our church. So we need to really come into a place where we really begin to operate our father's house as a business and give it a more business style and a more business model feel to it. So with that being said, um, you know, the other part of digital and social media is that, you know, your this team is particularly tied to whoever your digital and social media director is. So how are we communicating to the outside world in the digital arena who we are, what we represent, what's going on at our church, where we're located, service times, all of those things. So it has a very intricate hand in all of the posting, the streaming, the email marketing, the digital ads, and all of those things that we're doing. So that's also comes under that umbrella of um, church growth, the church growth team, or the communications team. The other part, um, the other piece of the team is our internal operations. So that's every other ministry that's already a part of the church. From your parking team to your greeters, your doorkeepers, your ushers, all of those people, because that all plays a part in evangelism. It's all a part of the church experience for the new visitor who's coming into the church. Is there appropriate parking? How did the, the, the visitor feel when they pulled up to the, to the parking area? Was it an easy enough um, effort to be able to find par parking or did they have to circle the block and then park on the street? When they got to the door, were they greeted? Was the greeter friendly? Was it a warm welcome? What does the registration process look like? And now we have COVID. So now what do the COVID measures and precautions look like that are in place? How are we operating that? Is it a swift move or is there a long line to wait to have my temperature taken and to sign in and register that I don't have any COVID symptoms um, and haven't been exposed to the best of my knowledge? What does that look like? for the visitor and then we have the ushers and your hospitality team is there a hospitality booth set up do you are you offering um and, and not every church does and not every church has to but is your church offering some kind of coffee is there a coffee bar or a lounge um, are there donuts or fruits and snacks? Those kind of things. So what kind? What is your hospitality? Some um, churches do welcome bags. So what are our welcome? What do our welcome systems look like that are in place? And then that brings us to the ushers. And we know we have all heard the stories of our usher boards. Not always the friendliest of people. Um, and that's a training process for every single church, honestly. I don't think that I've, I've met very few um, 
usher boards that are happy and pleased and come to service on a Sunday, ready to serve, want to serve. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a training and a learning curve for our ushers. Um, and no offense to anyone who serves on the usher board. We love you. We know it is not an easy job. You tell people to sit one area and you find them in a whole separate reserve section they ain't got no business in. Um, you know, they're chewing gum. They're feeding babies. They're, they're all over the place. So to all the ushers out there, God bless you. We love you. <laughs> but we're moving on. So that's all of that in touch. I mean, that um, internal operations. Um, and that all has a big part in the church growth. Because if I come to a church time after time after time, and I can never find any place to park, and then I'm forced to park on the street, but I'm parked a mile away from the church every time because it's so jam-packed. Now I have to walk a mile with my children all the way to the church. Well, that's not going to last very long, or it may not last very long. Very long or if I come in time after time the greeters are not warm and welcoming they're nasty and they have attitudes well that affects somebody's being able to come back um, so that's also something we want to look at and that's part of how we communicate what we're doing in the church to the outside community as well as the inside community because even if I was a member at a church and I had been going there for several years and the same sister pineapple had a nasty attitude with me every time um, she was ushering well then I may consider uh, especially for those that are a little less mature in the in the faith right there they let their emotions get in the way so if you're not mature in the faith there are members who will come and have be tired of dealing with sister pineapple and her bad attitude and just choose to not come back to the church out of offense um, and sometimes there's nothing we can do about that except teach on it and love people past it and at the same time educate our doorkeepers on how to be um, warm, welcoming, compassionate, friendly, kind doorkeepers. So then that brings us to our in-touch or our follow-up ministry or our follow-up team. That's the person or the people, the team of people that are responsible for doing all of the visitor follow-up. Once someone comes to your church, it is so important for us to follow up. Whether they receive Christ or not, which is a, a whole different story, um, and we can get into that as well. Maybe I'll do a whole segment on that because if you're leading someone to Christ, it is so important to begin to cultivate them and groom them in the area of discipleship once they have received Jesus Christ. And I think so many of us know that, but so many, so few of us are actually doing it and doing it to the degree that we end up discipling to someone to the point where they are in every Sunday member of the church. They are an active participant in the church, meaning that they are connected to a ministry and they are serving in ministry and serving the kingdom in the house of God where they are gleaning from. But apart from that, even just your visitors, right? You've invited people to your church. They've come in. They've had a tour. Parking was great. The greeters are great. The registration was great. The hospitality was great. Ushers are great. And then they go home. What happens to them once they go home? Who's following up to say, hey, Sister Orange, 
and your family. We're so glad that you came out to the church. Thank you for coming out. We thank you for visiting with us. You know, we wanted to just see how your experience was. Did you enjoy the service? You know, do you plan to come back again next Sunday? We'd be so glad to have you. So glad to see you. Come on back on next Sunday. Hey, and by the way, is there anything that we can pray about today? You know, we love your family and we love that you've already become a connected part of our church. We want to keep you in prayer. How can we pray for you? And after you offer that moment of prayer, pray. We don't hang up the phone and say, okay, the church is praying for you. You offer prayer in that moment. And I'm telling you, that offer of prayer and the extension of prayer in that moment especially if the person has time. And we don't want to be long-winded in our prayer. We want to pray, you know, specifically to the need of that family and what their particular prayer request was. But I'm telling you, the gratefulness of heart to know that someone cared enough about their visit, that they called them, followed up, wanted to know what they thought, wanted to know their opinion, wanted to know how they felt, asked them about, you know, whether or not they plan to return and then ask them about the care needs of their particular family, that measure of compassion, that measure of concern goes such a long way for someone who is just visiting your church. And this is not something that you do one time. You keep a running list of people that have visited the church and you continue to follow up with them. Um, and I'm not saying to add item, you follow up, uh, maybe Maybe it's once a week for the next four weeks. If you see them and they come back, great. They move into another pool that moves into the discipleship process. And if you don't see them then after four weeks, then clearly they may have made another decision. You add them if you're effectively data collecting, you add them to your um your email group so that they continue to get any emails, newsletters, updates, weather issues, anything like that. They're still getting your emails until they choose to unsubscribe from them. And that way the church is still building a presence and still letting the people know, hey, we don't know if you chose another church or you went somewhere else or you decided not to go to church altogether, but we wanted to still let you know we're connected to you even though you're not connected to us. And here's what's going on at our church. You may do something at the church that suits their need and they'll say, oh, well, let me go back. Maybe you don't have a children's church and that might be important for a particular family that has small children. All of a sudden you have a, a VBS or you have a children's church and you can say, hey, we're so glad to announce we now have a children's church that will say, oh, well, now I can go back there because now they're offering a children's church and that's something my family really needs. So it's a way for us to stay in touch with people that have visited our church and to stay connected with them. So let's flip and um, talk more about how we actually build this team and what does it look like from a corporate model structure and a corporate model perspective. So let me give you a for instance. I am the director of communications. I am an evangelist. I'm called to the office of evangelism. That's one thing. But I am also, I serve as my ministry's director of 
communications, meaning that everyone underneath that, any one of these departments, separate departments, sub-departments that I mentioned, all report up to me. So all the evangelists and every evangelism um, connected event all report up to me. I'm responsible for making sure that data gets collected and that it gets disseminated. I'm the one that is responsible for making sure and taking an overview of the data that we've collected. So when I say data collection, and I don't want to get long-winded with it now because I believe that's going to be our next episode, is how are we effectively um, collecting and tracking data and evaluating our ministry methods to make sure that what we're doing works. It doesn't make sense to keep putting bags, pennies in a bag that has a hole in it. So um, with that said, so I am the director of communications. All the evangelists, all the outreach ministers, all of the missions evangelists, um, all of the inreach team, the digital and social media, branding, all the internal operations. If it has to do in the in-touch team or the follow-up um, ministry, they all report up to me. I have oversight over the entire church growth model. So I'm making sure that everything is in place from the top down, making sure that um, we're following up, we're reaching out. What do those reports look like? Who did you talk to? Were there any issues? Um, so if you know one of my um, in-touch ministers calls a visitor and they say, well, you know, we really enjoyed the service, but the music was really too loud. That's a concern. And that needs to go up to the, to the shepherd of the house as a cause for concern to just, so that maybe he can talk to the music ministry and figure out how do we either buffer the sound or play at a lower decibel level so that we're not affecting the ears of the hearers. Um, just as a, for instance, so that's what I think the model should look like. You should have one person or two people that sit as the umbrella cover as a um, your director of communications and everything that has to do with communications, especially when it comes to church growth and kingdom expansion, all report up the umbrella, up the chain um, to your director of communications. So let's look at some strategies for how we build our ministry team, our church growth team, our, our communications team. So this ministry team is important um, before we even start talking about growth opportunities, because if we don't have a team, then we don't have a method. Our methods are useless and they're futile if we don't have um, a team in place that is actually operating and functional and know what they're supposed to be doing um, as we're bringing people in. So um, the process for building an effective team um, of church growth leaders it, it varies, honestly. There are so many variables to this when we're talking about building a team because it depends really on the size of the church, the community dynamic, the size of your community, um, your available volunteers, and your education and the practical expertise of the people that you have in the house. Not every church, you know, has... 4,000 members to choose from and build from. Some churches have 10 members. So what do we do with 10 members to build an effective communications team? 
Um, and then when there are 4,000, there are also barriers when it comes to that because you have 4,000 members of your team. So how are you plucking and pulling the right people to serve on that team out of 4,000? Um, especially when you bring into account that everyone has an idea and an opinion. So um, you have to start with what you have in the house and you have to work with what you have. I am the biggest philosopher in thinking that if you build it, they will come. So once you start to build a team with what you have in the house and the rest of the church begins to see, the people in the church, the members begin to see something living, breathing, moving, functional, operational, and effective, they'll want to be a part of that team as well. But if you don't see a team in place and you don't see the fruits of anybody's labor, then nobody wants to be a part of that. It's I've used the same uh, methodology when I talk about people coming to your church. They want to see you active in the community. They want to see what you're doing. They, we're in such a generation now that is so helps oriented and it's wonderful that everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to be a catalyst for change, even those that are unchurched. They want, and, and when they're looking at a church, they want to see what is your church doing to actually model what the Bible says it should do. How are we operating in an Acts chapter 2 um, kind of methodology when it comes to church growth and church building and reaching out to the lost and captivating the hearts of people and bringing them into the fold. What does that look like? It oftentimes looks like community involvement and oftentimes looks like the gift of helps. So um, again, go back to starting with what you have in the house um, and start to put people in place. And then as you start to launch them and send them out and they are coming back with the fruits of their labor and you're looking at four, five, seven people that are showing up to your Sunday services, then the church can say, oh, wait a minute, the communications team is doing something. I want to be a part of that. And more will come, but you have to start somewhere and you have to start in your own house and work with the volunteers that you have. So then you have to kind of determine what size team um, you're going to have and what size team your church requires. Ideally, I say all of this is probably about an eight-man team if you're talking about a leader under every subdivision, right? So we're talking about a leader that runs evangelism and communicating the gospel. You're talking about a leader for outreach, a leader for um, missions. You're talking about a leader for digital and social media marketing um, and those things. And that could be the same person that actually does the, the digital marketing piece that's responsible for making sure that streaming is getting out to Facebook Live or YouTube Live, IG Live, whatever you're using. Um, so that could actually be that person who just does dual duty. That person may sit on the digital team and be the director of digital communications, but then they also sit on the board for communications in order to report off and play dual duty. So it's not like you have to have two people doing two different jobs. You can roll them into one. 
Um, so with building this team, you know, sometimes you kind of have to get back to basics. A lot of times we have so many people that are sitting stagnant on the pews and not doing anything. Um, and you haven't done a gifts assessment since they, you know, came to new members class. Well, then you have um, maybe have a problem and you may have to do a gifts assessment in the church and start looking at who has the gifts of helps. Um, this is where it becomes important to know your members. Who are your travelers? Right. Because those are your mission. Those are your missions ministers. Those that are traveling and going away anyway. If you're looking on their Facebook thread and they're always somewhere um, those are probably your missions type people. They like to travel. They like the longer term effective things. Um, so those are probably your missions people. Um, so again, it just goes back to kind of discovering what the house gifts are. And you might have to do another gifts assessment. And if you're not familiar with the gifts assessment, you can absolutely reach out to me. Um, I'm glad to help. My particular church, when we do mem new members class, our new members class is quite extensive and lengthy because we cover a lot of the foundational and doctrine tenants that we believe in. And we want to make sure that our members are crystal clear on what they're getting themselves into. But at the end of our new members class, we do what's called the gifts assessment. And every member that's coming on board does one and identifies what their gifts and talents are so that we can effectively begin to disciple them and put them into service areas in the church where they would be most effective and most beneficial to the church based on what they identified in their gifts assessment. And again, if you do need assistance or help with gifts assessment and or if you need um, a pre-written um new members class that has all of the basic tenets and doctrines of the faith that we, the Christian faith that we believe in, feel free to reach out to me. I'm glad to share that um, with anybody who needs it. So the other thing, so after you kind of identify what your team is going to look like as far as who your team is going to look like, that's when you want to start to actually cultivate the team and this does not happen overnight this is a process it's not a quick fix building a team takes time and you have to it takes time for the team to learn to work together it takes time to foster the expectations and that's part of cultivating our team it's educating all of those that have a part in those subdivisions on what the expectations are for them. They function as a growth team, but how does my department function as part of this particular growth team? We set the expectation and we delegate in these areas. So there's opportunities there for development. And then you set the expectation that they have an opportunity to develop their own creative ideas. So for instance, if you have an outreach minister who's sitting on the team, next meeting, come to me and bring me five outreach ideas that you've been thinking about that's going to effectively help us to get this gospel spread and to show and to tell our community how, where we are, who we are, and what we represent and who we represent. All of those um, expectations about reporting need to be said. 
Um, so you really just kind of, it's almost a job description. And I actually do do a job description or a ministry, a ministry um, leader description that kind of maps out what the expectations are because I have expectations for those that serve on my team. You're not going to be an outreach minister and I still have the inreach team is calling you to find out where you are in Bible study. Now it's three Sundays, I mean three Tuesdays or three Wednesdays then went by and we haven't seen leaders in our um, Bible study, or we haven't seen leaders in church. We haven't seen leaders on the prayer line. Um, so, you know, I set expectations on what I expect in their individual growth. And then what do I expect from them as a leader in the ministry with me? Um, so that's an opportunity. So what does reporting look like? And that's something that every church can determine in and of itself. But I believe that, you know, every team is responsible for reporting. So your missions teams needs to come back and, and give a report. If you're planning a missions trip, well, what does the reporting look like on that? And then what was the effectiveness after you've gone on a missions trip? That's all reporting. That's all documentation. I am as well a nurse. And from the very first day in, in college, in nursing school, the age-old homage is, if it's not documented, it's not done. And we have to document what we're doing um, to know whether or not it's effective. If the missions team is putting together a food pantry or a soup kitchen, how many people are coming? How many people are coming to the soup kitchen? How many people are coming to the pantry? How many people are coming to the clothing drive? Um, how many people are coming, are giving um, to these things as well is part of reporting. Um, so all of those things go into your reporting and in that, leads into data and tracking, um, which I just talked a little bit about, is that, you know, some of that reporting is evaluating the efforts of the church so that you are not overextending the church in an area that's not um, benefiting the growth of the church. It's not yielding any fruit. So we don't want to keep sowing into something that's not yielding. So those are just some of the tips and tricks and information, little nuggets that I have about how to effectively build a church communications team or church growth team, like I said, whatever you choose to call it. But it's so far beyond just evangelism now. It's such an all-encompassing team and it's so important. I can't stress how important enough it is that we have proper teams in place and that everybody knows what they're doing, what they're supposed to be doing and what's expected of them um, to do. So it was so good once again to be with you all in episode two. I hope that some of this information has been beneficial to you. I will try to keep these episodes short and sweet. There may be a, just a car ride listen away. Um, so again, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to follow us on all the social media platforms. We are at Kingdom Cultivators Everything. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, soon coming a YouTube page, which is very exciting. Um, and then, of course, always here on our podcast platform. So we thank you once again for sticking around with us, for listening. If you do need assistance, please reach out to us via email anytime at 
at contact at kingdomcultivators.com. You can visit the website at kingdomcultivators.com. And on there, you're able to schedule an appointment. We do offer 30-minute Zoom sessions with church leaders um, as an opportunity for you all to pick my brain, ask any questions that you have um, concerning anything, whether it be team building, whether it be Facebook ads, digital media marketing, any of those questions that you might have about growing your church. So thank you once again for being with us. We thank you. We're so excited. We're looking forward to episode three. And in the meantime, let's grow. Let's grow.